as I said on Easter morning, the cross was, God's res- was humanity's response to God's love. It wasn't God's response to humanity. The cross was humanity's response to God's love. And we often do respond that way to the unabashed, un, just fully relenting, fully free gift of salvation in the world. Sometimes that is too good for us to respond with anything but the violence that we responded to Jesus with. So it's important for us to respond with God's love back to God and to one another. Well, let's look at our, our scripture passage this morning, John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me today. We're going to hear about the disciples after the resurrection. And keep this in mind, where are the disciples on the line of seeing Christ and believing Christ? John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy, seeing and filled. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, the disciples were again locked in a house and Thomas was there with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side, no more disbelief, but believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do, not, do you believe because you see? Happy are those who don't see and yet still believe. Then Jesus did many other miracles Many other miraculous signs to his disciples in their presence. Signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son. And that believing you will have eternal life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes John writes so much more eloquently than I could ever preach. So if you have to hang on to anything, hang on to John's words and let mine just be commentary for you today, okay? This passage has so many beautifully profound things for us today, and I hope that you catch on maybe just a little bit of those things because it's been speaking to my heart all week long. The cross is empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Yet, what we read today is that the locked room is full. The cross is empty, the tomb is empty, but the locked room of fear is full. Full of traumatized, anxious, 
and scared disciples. We have in common with traumatized, anxious disciples, right? We know what that feels like. Jesus' death on the cross was traumatic. Not just for Christ, not just for his family, but those who followed him and loved him were also traumatized by his death and losing him on the cross. But as we see in our passage today, Jesus gives many opportunities to look upon the Lord and believe. The resurrected Lord, to look upon him and believe. You see, Mary Magdalene's announcement of her seeing the risen Lord didn't convince these disciples. The empty tomb is not the sign of his resurrection for these disciples, but a source of disappointment, fear, and conspiracy. A fear which leads them to gather in a locked house to find some sense of comfort and meaning in it all. They've just lost their friend. What are they supposed to do? Maybe the the authorities that crucified Jesus would be coming after them. How would they survive this situation? We are intimately familiar with words such as lockdown and fear in our culture today. What messages does John's story of this second Sunday of Easter give us as we have experienced wounds and traumas of a global pandemic, a virus, and injustices of all kinds in our culture? On this evening of this first Easter Sunday, when Jesus had risen, Jesus appears standing among the disciples in the house and says, Peace be with you. It hit me really clearly today that Jesus doesn't come and condemn them for their fear. You notice that? He doesn't come and say, you are a people of faith, not a people of fear. No, he doesn't come in and say, you're a bunch of sheep. Even though he's a good shepherd, right? He doesn't come in and call them names or ridicule them or humiliate them because they are locked away in fear. He comes and speaks Peace. What a different trajectory to come and see people in fear and not condemn them for having fear, but to speak peace to them. That will preach all year long, amen? To speak peace to people who are experiencing fear. He shows them the marks of his nails in his hands and the hole in his side made by the soldier's spear. What they see must be terrifying. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. A man who they watched die, who still has the wounds of death on his body, is standing there before them. I think oftentimes we think that if we encountered the risen Lord, we would just believe just like that. Our minds, our hearts would be in one accord because we see Jesus and we would know and believe fully that Christ was there. But is that the picture that we get with the disciples in the gospel? They had firsthand account for years of Jesus, walked with him, saw miracles, heard him preach, and yet they were still like, eh, maybe he's the son of God. Even after the resurrection, they still don't really recognize that he truly is who he says he is. As I said, sometimes we're often counted among the disciples, right? 
That sometimes they, they see Christ there and they just still don't get who he is. The same is true, especially after death. He is the risen Lord, the marks of death. They saw him die, and now he's standing in front of them. I think we can't take for granted how difficult it would be to believe what they are seeing, right? That would be a difficult thing to believe. It feels like your eyes would be playing tricks on your mind and heart, right? This person that they love is now alive standing before them. It must be especially terrifying for someone like Peter as flashbacks of his denial are projected on the wounds of his friend's body. But Jesus is going to take care of the wounds of Peter's heart. Jesus is going to take care of the wounds of all of their hearts locked in that room. In fact, Jesus foretold in the Gospel of John that all their pain and sorrow would turn into joy because they would see each other again. Look upon the Lord and believe and be filled with joy. Listen to John chapter 16, verse 20. Jesus says, I assure you that you will cry and lament and the world will be happy. How many times have you been there? I'm crying and lament and the world seems happy around me. That's a great place to be, right? Just so, it feels so good to be there. I assure you, and this is an assurance from Jesus, you will cry and lament and the world will be happy. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman gives birth, she has pain because her time of labor has come. But when the child is born, so often she no longer remembers her distress because her child is born into the world. In the same way, you have sorrow now, but we will see each other again and you will be overjoyed. No one will take away your joy. And then we hear that in 1 John and in Acts today, that their joy had made them complete and they had such assurance in that joy that they gathered together, they met each other's needs, they were able to care for one another spiritually, mentally, physically, all throughout the land. It was that joy that made them complete and no one could take that away. Their teacher who was crucified is alive. Hallelujah. In that spirit, Jesus says again, Peace be with you. Amidst fear, amidst sorrow, the peace Jesus gives will enable them to go out in joy. Locked away in sorrow, the peace of Christ will enable them to go out in joy. Jesus says that as God sent Jesus, he will also send them into the world. Now, those of you who have heard my preaching for a long time know that I get really nerdy with Greek. And I nerded out a lot with this passage this week. And I have to tell you, one of the most powerful parts of this passage today is that the same Greek word for sending is the same word used for forgiveness. It's the same word. Just as I have sent you, just as God has sent me into the world, so also I will be sending you into the world. Now hear me out. Sending is fused with forgiveness. You are released from sin. 
It's the same Greek word for release. I am releasing you from this fear, this anxiety. I am stopping the cycle of fear, sin, and decay and sending you from that in peace, in joy, releasing you from that. And isn't that what forgiveness does? It's the same word that John uses for sending and release. Sending is fused with forgiveness. You are released from sin, released from death, sent away from despair, sent away from sorrow into peace, into joy. And compare this with the grand scale. Jesus says, whatever sin you forgive, it will be forgiven. Your sins will be forgiven in that same way. And Jesus says, go into the, all the world and make Christ-like disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as I have forgiven you, released you from sin, I I am now sending you to release other people from sin, to set them free into joy, into peace. Isn't that a beautiful commission? Jesus sent, was sent into the world. Why? John tells us, 3, 6, John 3.16, the most memorized verse out of all of Scripture. Jesus Christ was sent in the world because God so loved the world to release the world from all the things that convict it to to sin and and death in the world to release the world from those things that's why john says he was not sent into the world to condemn the world but to set it free can you imagine the difference between being ambassadors of condemnation or ambassadors of forgiveness and peace Ambassadors of hope, <laughs> of seeing all the ways in which that we are stuck in, in cycles of torment and decay, to be able to have the power to go and say, peace be with you, and release you from those things. That is what Christ sends the disciples into the world, just as Jesus was sent into the world to forgive, to release the world from sin, death, and sorrow. Jesus now sends his disciples to forgive, to send the world away from sin. They would continue the work of Christ's forgiveness and peacemaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, John's gospel is even different here. The way Jesus empowers them is like last week's story, very intimate, very, he, he builds on that foundation of friendship with them. Jesus breathes the Spirit, Holy Spirit, on them. The person of the Holy Spirit is the life force of God in the world. Whenever we think of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to think of God breathing life into humanity, of the Holy Spirit coming and parting the waters to set the, the people of Israel free, the Holy Spirit that comes along and empowers Christ's ministry in the world. And it's that same Spirit that was breathed in his last from the cross. We are told by the gospel writers that it's Spirit, he breathed his last and his Spirit departed from him. And it is that same Spirit from creation to the resurrected reality of Christ that he breathes into his disciples. It is the sign of the old creation dying and the new creation being breathed into humanity. Powerful, 
powerful. And this is the only time in Scripture where the Jesus Christ risen on earth in this intimate room with his disciples. The Holy Spirit, they don't have to wait for Pentecost. They are in that room, and they receive it intimately from Christ by him breathing the peace of the Holy Spirit upon them. Incredible. The Spirit that he received at his baptism he is giving to them. The Gospels illustrate Jesus breathing out the Spirit upon the disciples. And this act of new creation is what will empower them to go into all the world and release it from death. And yet we encounter this guy named Thomas. Now, I resonate a lot with Thomas. Don't you? Anyone? Yeah, I resonate a lot with Thomas. Thomas wasn't, wasn't there in the room. And I have to imagine that Thomas, being one of the only ones not locked away with the disciple, he's like, okay, you know what? I was willing, you know, Thomas is the only disciple that's willing to go and die with Jesus, right? He gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, but we don't call Peter denying Peter. Even Judas betraying Judas. No, we, but we add that adjective to the front of poor Thomas's name for the rest of his career. Doubting Thomas is one time, right? But he's the only disciple that's willing to go and die with Jesus. He said to the rest of the disciples, let's go and die with him. If that's where he's going, we need to follow him. That's Thomas. I would say courageous Thomas, right? So if he's not among the locked room with the rest of the disciples, he's like, well, you guys all fled. I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. That's what I think, because he's the only one that was willing to be with Jesus. So he's out living his life, maybe even pursuing the gospel of Christ still. He's not sure what had happened that night, but he's not going to stay locked in a room with the rest of the disciples. Now, that's just Ben, like I said. Stick to scripture, not my words. But I, I imagine that that's what Thomas was up to. And then the disciples come, and they say, We have seen the risen Lord. Thomas isn't doubting the fact that Jesus might have risen from the dead. He's doubting these disciples that fled the cross. He's doubting their testimony. He's doubting the integrity of their words. Like, unless I see Jesus, I won't believe. Because I don't believe you people, <laughs> right? He's saying, unless I see the marks of his wounds on his hands, I won't believe. And then he shows up a week later to see if their testimony is true. And isn't that what John has been talking about his whole gospel? Mary Magdalene got to see and believe. The rest of the disciples got to see and believe. Thomas is just asking for the rest, for his experience to be like theirs. He wants to see the resurrected Lord and believe as well. The trouble with seeing there, there is a lot of trouble with seeing and believing, right? Some see and others don't. Thomas is really just asking to see and believe like the rest, to see the resurrected Lord and have a chance to believe. But hasn't the, the narrative of John's gospel shown us that there are those who look upon the Lord and believe and there are those who look upon the Lord and don't believe as well? Just because Mary saw doesn't mean the rest of the disciples believed, did it? Just because the rest of the disciples believed and saw doesn't mean that those like Thomas will believe. The way from seeing to believing isn't always a straight line. 
it can get really messy. And to me, it ministers to my heart because if I witness a powerful movement of God in my life, but other people don't see that, am I to use that as a way of dividing myself from them? Because they don't believe in the same way that I do? Are they somehow lesser than I? Because they don't understand maybe the significant movement of God in my own life, do I use that as a source of condemnation for them? Or a way to speak peace? Right? If, if good Christians are guilty of anything, it's saying, I have the truth and you don't, you're wrong. Right? We make that dividing line of saying, well, I've got the truth, I feel really bad about you, someday you'll be as good as I am, right? One of my favorite parables in all of scripture, and I didn't write this down, so this is a freebie, you're welcome. One of my favorite parables in all of scripture is the tax collector and the Pharisee. We good Christians read that, and the, the, the tax collector says, Lord God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And God shines down and shows favor to the tax collector, the sinner. And the Pharisee's like, Lord, thank you I'm not like that icky tax collector over there. And then we come away out of worship, out of service that day and say, Lord, thank you I'm not like that icky Pharisee. And completely miss the point, Right? We are saying, Lord, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like that person who's deficient in some way before you. We are supposed to be like the tax collector that says, Lord God, have mercy upon me. And look with favor towards your fellow human being. There is not a human being in this world that you've locked eyes with that God does not love. And we need to work our whole life to be able to love others the way that Jesus loved us. <laughs> And so if there's a difference in belief, if we see and have this profound experience of God's truth in our life, we don't use that as a way of dividing from one another, but a way of unifying and finding that common ground. Because the line from seeing to believing isn't a straight line for all of us, right? That's what we are seeing in this gospel today. And strangely enough, now get this, strangely enough, just because all of the disciples in the locked room saw the resurrected Lord that first week, they're still locked away the second week. They're still hidden away in that second week. So they saw and they believed, but they had not yet comprehended what it all meant. So they're still waiting to understand what that belief means for their action. Right? Seeing and believing is one thing. Seeing and believing and acting on what you believe is a whole different ballgame. And that's when Thomas showed up to witness the risen Lord still locked away in that room, anxious about what the world has to offer. Yet Jesus can pass through those locked doors. And he greets them again and again by saying, peace be with you. Jesus persists in meeting the disciples exactly where they are on that messy line between seeing, believing, and acting. This time, Jesus allows Thomas to see and to touch. It is Jesus' invitation for him to believe on what he is seeing. And Thomas's belief is expressed in that supreme form of confession, my Lord and my God, the only disciple to call Jesus God in John's gospel. Amen. 
incredible. John 20, verses 30 through 31 seems to be a proper conclusion of John's gospel. These post-resurrection stories. Even though there's another chapter and it's added as an appendix or a postscript, it says there were many other signs that are not recorded in this scroll that Jesus did. I want you to think about that line, many other signs. That assumes that the signs that he was showing them, the marks on his body, were actually signs and miracles. In John's narrative, seeing signs is closely related to believing. Jesus said earlier, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Chapter 4, verses 48 and 6, verse 30. This represents the position of Thomas. Then are the physical wounds and the scars on Christ's body signs of the risen Lord? That's the question for us. Are the marks of his wounds signs of Christ's resurrection? You see, I believe that resurrection belief challenges us to see life in the marks of an excruciating death. To see hope in our grief. To see a chance of healing in pain. Are we looking for those signs in the darkest parts of our life? One may ask if anyone who sees the signs believes. Thomas was fortunate to see the sign and believe. Still, others see signs and don't believe. But Jesus speaks of a third group, and we're in that third group. Those who are blessed even without seeing, right? We haven't seen the physical resurrected Lord. We haven't seen the marks on his body. But yet, we are blessed because we believe even if we cannot see but I want to give you hope this morning. And this is, I'm going to be honest with you, this is a difficult one for me because I resonate with Thomas so much because I want to see, don't you? I want to see the signs of Christ in my life, the physical body of Christ. But it is written. It is written for us right here. It is a written sign in front of us that we can look and read and have the chance to believe. Why do people write? I love writing. But why? Why do we write? We write to preserve memories or communicate messages. Some writings and inscriptions such as laws, history, scripture. All these things come down to writing. Some have authority. Some don't have as much authority. Right? We give other writing a lot of authority over lives. Some don't. Regarding what to write on an inscription on the cross, Pontius Pilate has the authority in his land, and he wrote, Here is Jesus of Nazareth, and the king of the Jews is a mockery. In three different languages, he wrote that as a sign on the crucified Lord. That's what he chose to write. And when the Jewish leaders and authorities complained because they say, He's not our king, guess what he said? I have written what I have written saying that is the final word over this. This mockery that I have placed over Christ is the last word. But you see, a hero's name and his achievements can be engraved in a monument, on stone, on a tomb. And one could read John's writings just as a memorial. 
an inscription in stone, kind of just memorializing the good things that Jesus did. But on this second Sunday of Easter, what is written in John's gospel calls our attention to the wounds and traumas inscribed, written on Christ's body. John invites us to see the life Jesus has given to the world in the midst of wounds, pains, and traumas, and evil. John's story goes on to recount that the disciples return home to Galilee again, filled with joy. They once again fail to see him in chapter 21. But the most significant thing is the risen Christ appears to them again and again and again and again. It's my hope today that we, thousands of years after these signs, these physical signs of the resurrection, that we would inscribe, we would write the resurrection message of comfort and peace on our own hearts. And for the troubled and wounded hearts of the people around us, we would be sources of Christ's peace. So that today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, our pain and our sorrow may turn to joy. Big picture. I want to ask a big picture question and then an individual question. In what ways are people still locked in systemic evil and death in our culture? That the church is being called upon to speak forgiveness and release and actively work to release them from those systems of death and evil. My friends, if we believe in original sin, we believe in structural evil. Because sin is not just an individual personal thing, is it? We saw structural sin with someone like Adolf Hitler, right? That was a system of death and sin in the world. If we believe that original sin is a thing, we need to understand that we as the church are called to bring release from sin on both a personal and structural level. That's what Jesus was trying to do. And guess what? He did it real well. But he did it in ways that we don't often expect, in a nonviolent, active response to systems of injustice in the world. So big picture, what ways are people still locked in systemic evil and death? My friends, the protests that were sparked by George Floyd's death and the fact that people of color don't feel safe walking down the streets, that is a system of sin and death. And how are we as the church not going to respond and condemn or condemn fear or, or call it all these other things that p- politicians would like us to call it? But how do we go and speak peace and release people from systems of oppression? Do you know what Jesus said his first sermon? Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to set captives free, to liberate the oppressed, to bring the leer of the Lord's favor upon you. Not just to save souls. Not just to save our spiritual souls, but to see the favor of God here and now. People set free and released from sin and death. What ways can we look for the signs of the resurrection and bring release from death and turmoil for black lives in our culture? 
to actively bring them peace. What does that look like to make peace? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Individual question. In what ways are you locked in continuous anxiety and fear? Fear of the government? Fear of others? Fear of death? What does it mean to look upon the Lord and believe in the situations of our own lives where we still may feel locked away in fear? How can we see signs of the resurrection in our own life, our own need for resurrection, and allow the Holy Spirit to release us and send us in peace? Do you need the joy of the Lord this morning? It is a free gift, but we have to look for Christ. We have to look for the resurrected Christ in our lives. May you find Jesus, the resurrected Lord in your life, and may your soul be filled with joy. May you be sent out in his peace to be the presence of his peace in this world. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would, if anything that, that Ben Kramer said this morning that deviated from your will or your grace, that you would let your grace inhabit and fill in all of those gaps, but that you would come and fill in the hearts of those who heard this message today the truth of your salvation and the joy of your presence. Lord, as my brothers and sisters go from this place, may you fill them with your peace. May you release them from those things that are holding them back to live a full life in you. If there's any voices that are speaking in their life against their value, their integrity, that you would release them from the authority of those voices. Those voices have no power over them. Just like you said in your scriptures, no one can take away the joy that Christ has given. So, Lord God, if there's anyone speaking into the, my, the lives of my brothers and sisters this morning that contradict the value that they have in you, would your peace just, just drown out those voices? Would you let them take hold of the joy of your salvation and walk in confidence in your peace as we depart from one another today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you found our sermon podcast and we pray that this was a place of hope, healing, and peace for you today. If you'd like to financially support the staff and ministries of our church, we've made it really easy for you to do so. On our podcast page, you should see a button that says support, where you can set up reoccurring giving at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Or if you're interested in giving more, head on over to our website at euclidnaz.org slash donate. Thank you so much for supporting the mission of Euclid. We really do believe that the difference we can make for the kingdom is greater when we do it together. Blessings to you today, friends.